listening to Open Mic Friday, Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker on this April the 10th in the year of our Lord, 2020. And not many people are getting ready to go to church because of the virus that is occurring. And you may be wondering what is happening to all the churches and the pastors who will be unable to be worshiping this Easter Sunday, this Good Friday, and last night, Maundy Thursday. If you listen to yesterday's broadcast, Wes Reimnitz and myself talked about should we permit communion to be held in homes if the people are listening to the pastor's voice over the internet? And we actually quoted items from 2006 when the Commission on Theology and Church Relations indicated that that was not a wise idea. Well, this morning I was up at 5 a.m. going through my email and received a number of items uh, for April the 10th. One was a message to pastors of the Missouri Synod from President Harrison, and another was from the CTCR, and a third was from the seminaries about what is happening this weekend and what to do about the virus. I'd like to begin with talking a bit about a message to the pastors from President Harrison. He starts off quoting scripture, 1 Corinthians 5. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Dear brothers, in the office of the ministry, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then he quotes Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. President Harrison then responds, once again, the pale horse of pestilence, whose rider's name is Death, courses over the earth, a piercing call to repentance, and a harbinger of the return of Christ. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. O Lord, we wait but a little longer with your martyrs, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Let your blessed gospel fly freely, Lord, even now, even from us, for the salvation of many more. Then he directs particularly to pastors. We pastors struggle with a barrage of changes, of unanswered questions, of rough edges, of theological thoughts and concerns, of practical problems. Many face financial challenges. We struggle with moving targets, changing health regulations and mandates. We want more than anything for our dear people to receive the forgiveness and consoling power of the word of the gospel, 
the scriptures and the very body and blood of Jesus. We struggle trying to sort out how it is that the very coming together to receive Christ's gifts may endanger the flock we seek to love and shepherd. There are right now brother pastors who are lamenting, if not distraught, that because of quarantines, they have not been able to be at the bedside of treasured members of their flocks as those faithful people have died from this terrible virus. A pastor is a bishop, is a visitor, as Dr. Luther has so well taught us. In Acts 15.36, in his preface to the instructions for the visitors of parish pastors. Then he quotes Matthew 17, verse 8. Jesus only. Dearest brothers, you have Jesus. Jesus only. But that is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Let's follow our chief shepherd into Jerusalem. With him, let's turn from false and misguided praise and expectations of earthly glory. Let us enter Holy Week with Jesus, humble and knowing that in this life, his way, our way, is the cross. Take up your cross and follow me. If Christ himself ministered humbly through a cross, are we surprised when we must bear a few splinters? Now, the letter is quite lengthy. It's over four pages, and he goes through the holy week of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and on Easter Sunday with a little paragraph about Jesus on each day. Ends with Philippians 1, 3 to 5. I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel. Our risen Lord Christ consoles us in manifold ways in these dark and latter days, not least of which is by giving us each other. In fact, such consolation is a dominical and apostolic mandate. Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged the brothers with many words. Acts 15, verse 32. As I've watched and communicated with many of you in these past weeks, President Harrison continues, and heard from your people, I have never been more thankful and humbled to be a part of this ministerium. We are in this together. I have seen you bend over backward to serve. You have offered the sacrament to very small groups with a great deal of effort. I've seen you conversing with each other in your circuits. I've seen circuit visitors working together with you as you work with local laws and guidelines. I've seen you make painful decision after painful decision about 
worship. I've seen you scramble to offer your people the word of God via Facebook Live. I've had a lot of contact with our district presidents and synod vice presidents, which has confirmed and reconfirmed all of this. We thank God for you. Please, for your safety and well-being and that of your parishioners, refrain from regular congregational services. While we cannot gather together, many pastors are using the best technology to stay in contact with their people. Telephone, email, social media. You are staying in touch with each other, praying for one another, encouraging each other with the word of God. It's very evident that you all honor the yoke under which the gospel great shepherd of the sheep has placed you as servants of the church of God. We thank God for you. I encourage you to follow the local guidelines regarding social distancing. The government is not persecuting us. Fourth commandment, these rules apply to all as reasonably as possible. And it appears we are nowhere near the end of this. In these unprecedented times, there is always great flexibility in how local churches respond to the needs of their people and community. We respect that. We must show charity to each other, particularly in these stressful times. I know there has been a very deep desire among some of the brothers to find some ways to get the sacrament to their people via the internet. Their motives are commendable, but I urge us all to refrain from new doctrinal practices that cause particular concern in the church. I also urge love and patience toward all. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And there he's quoting Galatians 5.13. Now he continues in this lengthy letter to pastors, but as you heard, he agrees with what Wes Reimans and I said yesterday, that it's not appropriate to provide the Lord's Supper through the medium of the internet. In uh, 2006, there were uh, pastors who wanted to give a DVD with them saying the words of institution on it. And that was corrected by the Commission on Theology and Church Relations. And they have put out a similar statement right now. But at this time, the two seminaries, their theological professors have also put out a, uh, let's call it a document entitled Communion in a Time of Social Distancing. As we write, 
This is from the two seminaries. A pandemic threatens the health of billions. The disease suddenly has affected personal lives, communities, organizations, economies, and civil governments across the planet. New and occasionally drastic changes have been made. For many Christian congregations, this means stopping the gathering for worship. Churches have adjusted swiftly. Many have turned to technology. They post recorded messages and written devotions, and they stream services to viewers in their homes. Now, I myself, Tom Baker, interrupting what they're saying here, also are sending sermons, not only audio sermons to the congregations I'm serving, but also a transcript of the sermon for those individuals who do not have technology or computers in their home. And I'm also sending some videos, videos that apply to the particular Sunday with some information that might be helpful and comforting. So, going back to the letter from the two seminaries, some have proposed this technology be used also for the administration of the Lord's Supper. The common idea is that the pastor conducts a service of the sacrament from one locations, the viewers follow the service from other locations, and all of them eat and drink the body and blood of Christ when the pastor directs them. This proposal reflects desire to give pastoral care in a difficult time and acknowledge the importance of the sacrament for this care. We commend both this desire and this acknowledgement, but the proposal about administering the Lord's Supper in the context of streamed services is problematic and we cannot commend this solution to the problem. The problem with this proposal is that it would alter what happens in the Lord's Supper itself. The action of the Lord's Supper would be changed substantially. The change lies in eliminating what might be called the communal meal aspect of the sacrament. Here, the term communal meal means a meal where several come together for the purpose of sharing in eating common food. As Christ instituted and commanded it, the sacrament of the altar is a communal meal. And then they quote from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, those words, including do this in remembrance of me. As the words of institution show, the letter goes on, the Lord's Supper is when several come together to share in eating and drinking Christ's body and blood under bread and wine. They share in common not only the action of eating and drinking, but also the food and the drink. In this way, the many become one. 
quotes 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This is how the Lord's Supper has a communal meal aspect. It is this communal meal aspect that shows why the Lord's Supper is rightly called Holy Communion. The proposal, and they're talking about the proposal for the pastor to say the words over the internet, the proposal does something different. It lacks the communal meal aspect. Instead of several coming together to show share in eating and drinking, the several stay apart and eat and drink on their own. The viewers do not share in a meal. Rather, they are expected to provide their own meals and to eat and drink their meals on their own. To be sure, the eating and drinking are coordinated, but they are not communal. The food and drink are not shared. The difference is like that between a family supper and lunchtime at a school cafeteria. In a family supper, the members of the family come together to share food and drink with each other and for each other. They come together and live as a family in their meal together. At lunchtime in the school cafeteria, students come together, but not all to share the same meal. Some bring theirs from home, others get theirs from the school kitchen, and occasionally a student doesn't eat because she left her lunch at home. They eat together, and the lunch period may bring some together, but they do not come together in the eating itself. Someone may ask whether the communal meal aspect is essential to the Lord's Supper. The question is well taken, at least for those who use communion wafers or individual cups. One could argue that either of these counts as changing the right, and then further argue that the communal meal aspect of the sacrament is on par with these, rather than with the use of bread and wine or the words of institution. The Apostle Paul shows us that the communal meal aspect of the Lord's Supper is essential in 1 Corinthians. Here Paul assumes that the Lord's Supper is a kind of communal meal. His criticism of the Corinthians is based on the assumed fact that the Lord's Supper is a meal, where several come together to share in eating and drinking common food and drink. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 22, Paul teaches that communicants are made one by receiving the common food and drink. The many are made one body in the Lord's Supper because there is one bread. Paul also notes that eating food sacrificed at pagan altars make all who eat this food one with each other too. It is sharing this food together in meals like this, meals intended to bring people together, that makes eating meals sacrificed to false gods problematic, indeed 
idolatrous. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul criticizes the Corinthians for the way they conduct the Lord's Supper. That is because they deny the communal meal aspect. When you come together to the one place, Paul observes, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. It is not in order to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, his own supper. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. In any communal meal, this would be sinful, because one goes hungry, another gets drunk. But with his communal meal, where Christ's body and blood are eaten and drunk, one sins not only against brothers and sisters in Christ, but against Christ's body and blood. Therefore, he urges, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Since the communal aspect of the Lord's Supper was essential for the apostle, who had received instruction from the Lord himself, it should be for our administration of the Lord's Supper streaming communion service proposals eliminate this essential feature of the supper. This is why it is problematic. Now, there's much more they have to say here, but this was adopted by the Departments of Systematic Theology of our two seminaries, Concordia Seminary, in St. Louis and Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. And they did this in April. Yesterday, when Wes Reimnitz and I, Tom Baker, were talking, I mentioned another factor that would not be possible, and that is the pastor needs to be careful who receives the Lord's Supper so a person does not take it to his judgment. That's why we practice close and closed communion. And that's quite possible in a congregation where the people are coming forward. As I indicated, there was an occasion when I would stop the Lord's Supper to question someone I did not know at the altar to make sure they were a member of a church in fellowship with us, or a member of the Missouri Synod, and if not, ask them to receive the blessing and an explanation afterwards. Also yesterday, I mentioned about how certain groups in concentration camps in Nazi Germany were receiving the Lord's Supper apart from a pastor, and I got a question on that, which makes me think that that could cause some doubt also. And so I'm backing off on saying that that was definitely the Lord's Supper being done when a pastor was not present. However, we need to continue to do the worship services through the internet, through phone calls, etc., and I would also suggest what I'm going to be attempting to do is start some Bible studies 
where you get the congregation members to phone up a, a specific number and they can listen to the pastor and even communicate with him over the phone for, oh, half hour, an hour, as long as you want the conference call to continue. We're going to be trying that. Now, your pastor uh, should have received these documents. So if you want further details, don't hesitate to ask him, and I'm sure he'll share them with you and work on the basis. Yes, the big thing is, how do we do the Lord's Supper? At St. Paul de Pere, they allow 10 people at a time, which are the laws in this state, to come in and receive the Lord's Supper that is dispensed by the pastor. But that is watched very carefully with separation of the people kept in mind. I'm Tom Baker. On Monday, we'll be back, God willing, to continue a study on the readings for the following Sunday after Easter. Till then, a happy Easter to each of you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.